Father, I pray that the words of my mouth and meditations of our hearts would be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. From the very beginning, God's plan has been to to use his people, those who trust in him, to bear witness to him, those who do not know him. It starts with Abraham when God says, Abraham, I'm going to bless you, and through you, I'm going to bless all the nations. And it continues as he calls out Israel to be his people, and then ultimately the church. The question for us is not, are we witnesses of God? The question is, what kind of witnesses are we? The question is, what kind of picture of God are we creating in this world? What image of God and His kingdom are we, are we sending to people? What picture are we drawing? And that's really the question that keeps coming back to us again and again and again. And there is something of that idea that I think is present in this encounter that Jesus has with Pilate. Pilate is the governor, the Roman governor over that area. He would not normally always be in Jerusalem, but because it's Passover and because this is a a time when uh, the Romans are are concerned and worried about all these people teaming together in the city of Jerusalem and uprisings taking place, Pilate is there. Pilate has a, 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 a sketchy history with the Jews. He's made some decisions that uh, have been pretty bad decisions, and he's done some things that have not ingratiated him to the Jewish people. And the Jewish people have reported him to Rome, and, and so he's gotten pressure, and he's kind of in the middle of this vice between those in Rome over him and the Jewish people that he's supposed to rule. And the reality is the Jewish people have a fair amount of, of clout over Pilate and, and on Pilate. You see that even in this story. When they come to him... And it's Passover time, and they don't want to go into the palace where Pilate is, because if they do, that will defile them, and they won't be able to eat the Passover. And so, they say to Pilate, we have someone, we have a a prisoner here we want you to judge, and you need to come out to us. And surprisingly, he does. I mean, that would almost be like going to the White House and, and saying to the president, we'd like to have a conversation with you, and... But we, aren't, we don't want to go into the White House. You're going to have to come out and talk to us. And he does. I mean, it's a rather shocking thing when you ponder it. And yet this is the kind of clout that they have over him. And you see this, this animosity between the Pilate and the Jewish people, particularly the temple authorities. And so when he says to them, I'll come out, and he asks them, all right, so what's the charge? What's he done? And they don't answer him. They, they kind of talk around it, but they really don't have a legitimate charge. All they say is, well, look, if he had done something really, really bad that deserved death, we wouldn't be here, right? Just trust us. And Pilate doesn't seem to want to do that. I mean, he does still have some authority, and so he says, fine, I'll talk to him. And so the soldiers bring Jesus into Pilate. 
And Pilate asked Jesus, so are you the king of the Jews? I don't know where he got that from. There's nothing in the story that John gives us that says he's the king of the, that he declares to be the king of the Jews. But I think Pilate is intuitive enough, or maybe there's parts of the conversation that we don't have, that he gets the sense that the Jews are really upset because Jesus is making some kind of claim to be their king. So he says, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus doesn't answer the question except in the course of his answer, twice he uses the phrase, my kingdom. Now, as we saw in the flannel graph video, which did that not bring back memories of childhood to any of you who are my age, uh, that was awesome. You know, to, that's, that's how we learned. That's what we did, you know, in the, in the uh, ice age of, of history. Um, you know, in that, and if they were talking in there, you know, there is this sense in which, you know, he says, it's my kingdom. And if you say it's my kingdom, then there is something about you that declares to be a king. But I do find it interesting that Jesus is not overtly belligerent with Pilate. He carries on a, a, very, a, a very clean kind of dialogue with him. He's not trying to antagonize Pilate. He's not offensive to Pilate. And, and it reminds me, you know, he could have said, look, Pilate, listen, I've got more power in my, the end of my pinky than you could ever dream or imagine. You don't know who you're messing with here. In fact, let me show you who you're messing with. But he doesn't. He acquiesces to him. And, and they carry on this conversation. And I think there is something that we see here in Jesus. Jesus never operates from a position of threats. Even when Jesus is warning people, even when Jesus is confronting people, it, it's, not in a, it's not in a mindset of threatening them. Because Jesus understands that no one enters the kingdom by threats. Now, the church hasn't always understood that. All you have to do is read a little church history and you see it. There have been far too many times in the history of the church where the church has operated from a position of power and a position of threats. And it brings to mind the story of Charlemagne, who conquered these people and then said to them, you have two choices. You can be baptized or you can die. I suspect those are some of the largest baptismal services in the history of the world, when that's your choice. And, but I don't think that's the way of the kingdom. It's certainly not the way of Jesus. No one enters the kingdom by being threatened. Oh, people might say, well, if I'm threatened, okay, fine, I'll do it. But they don't really mean it. It doesn't come from their heart. And the kingdom of God is about what's in our hearts. And so Jesus carries on a conversation with Pilate. Even though he may know Pilate doesn't, isn't all that interested, Jesus still is, is kind to him and has a real conversation with him. But Jesus does say, look, my kingdom is not from this world. Now, there's a the variety of ways in which people have interpreted that phrase. And typically, in most of our Bibles, it says, my kingdom is not of this world. And the word that's translated of can also be translated from. And the problem with using the word of is that it, it has been interpreted through the years to mean that Jesus' kingdom has absolutely nothing to do with this world. 
other than for people to be safe from their sins and to go to heaven and to get away from this world. It has created a mindset of separation from the world, of, of not connecting to the world, having no, no uh, relationship with the world. But I don't think that's the point of the kingdom of God. I think the kingdom that Jesus brings is not to be is not to be from this world. And I think John is, and Jesus is talking about the difference between origin and presence. When you say that kingdom is not from this world, then Jesus is saying, my kingdom does not originate from this world. My kingdom originates from heaven, the place where God dwells, the place where, where the kingdom is perfectly done and God's will is perfectly done. That's where my kingdom comes from. And my kingdom comes from that, but it comes to this world. And it's intended to be a part of this world and to be in this world and to change this world. And the point of being witnesses in this world, witnesses of the kingdom, is not to separate ourselves in the world so that we have no influence, but it's to bring the kingdom of God that is not from this world to the people of this world who need to know what the kingdom of God is about. Of course, the, the danger of that is that we can be so much a part of this world that sometimes the storyline flips. And instead of the church influencing the world, the world influences the church. And we have to continually think about that and fight against that. But the answer is not to remove ourselves from the world. The answer is to be a presence of the kingdom in the world. And to say that it's not from this world means that it operates in a completely different way. I mean, Jesus says, if my, if my kingdom were from this world, then my followers would fight just like everybody else fights. And you get the, the, the sense that Jesus didn't say this, but he implies. And the reality is, if, my, if I wanted my followers to fight, they would win. They would win every time. But that's not how my kingdom purposes are accomplished. That's not how the, the kingdom of God operates. Not from the perspectives and the strategies of this world, but from the perspective and the strategies of God. And that's why Paul writes in Colossians chapter 2 that this is the way that Jesus disarmed the, the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. That is a different kind of kingdom that sees a cross as the way of victory in life. That's the way of Jesus. A few years ago, I read a book by uh, Andy Crouch called Strong and Weak. And if you've not yet read it, I would strongly encourage you to do so. It's an excellent book. And the heart of this book is this two-by-two two chart that he describes that where he, he says that, you know, we uh, have been given uh, both authority and vulnerability as a part of our world and our lives. And he says when you have high vulnerability and you have high uh, when you have high authority and high vulnerability, then you are in the quadrant of flourishing. And he says, that's the quadrant of Jesus. Jesus says, all power in heaven and on earth has been given to me. 
But he uses that power to be vulnerable so much so that he ends up on a cross. If you have, if you have low authority and high vulnerability, then it creates an atmosphere of suffering. And much of the world lives in that quadrant. If you have low authority and low vulnerability, then you end up in the quadrant of, of withdrawing where you just simply back away from the world. You don't have any authority to do anything. And his, he defines authority as being able to create meaningful change in the world and, and vulnerability as being willing to risk. And if you have no ability to change the world and you, have, and you never take risks, then what you're really doing is just simply withdrawing. And if you have high authority and low vulnerability, then you end up in the quadrant of exploiting. Well, you have all this power, you have this, all this ability to do, to change the world, but you use it selfishly. And that creates the atmosphere of exploiting. And what's fascinating to me as you think about this is that everybody around Jesus wants him to operate in all of the quadrants except quadrant one. The disciples want Jesus to be to, to, to exploit. They want him, they say to him at one point, you know, this, this town rejected you. You want us to call down fire on them? Jesus says, no, that's not how the kingdom works. They want him to withdraw. The story of, of the feeding of the 5,000. And Jesus says, look, all these people are hungry. You guys, we need to feed them. And what's their response? That's not our problem. How in the world can we feed them? Send them home. Let them find their own food. We just want to withdraw from the problem. And Jesus says, that's not how my kingdom works. And there are many people that want Jesus to suffer. In fact, many of them have brought him to Pilate. But they think he's suffering because he doesn't have any choice. Jesus is trying to help them understand he's suffering because he chooses vulnerability. And the fascinating thing is that the quadrant no one wants Jesus to operate out of is, is the quadrant that is, really describes his kingship. All authority used for high vulnerability to give his life. That's the nature of the kingdom. And that's the nature to which he calls those who are part of the kingdom. To be a presence. He's given us authority. He's given us power. That's what, part of the, that's what being in the kingdom is about. Not our power, it's his power. But to use it in a spirit of vulnerability, in a spirit of sacrifice, in a spirit of risk, to bring about meaningful change in this world. See, the point of being here, the point of the kingdom, the point of Jesus coming, is not to destroy the world. It's to redeem the world. I mean, isn't that what John writes in chapter 3 when he, when he quotes Jesus saying, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him will not die but have eternal life. But then he goes on to verse 17 and said, God has sent his Son into the world not to judge the world or condemn the world, but to save the world through him. That's the nature of the kingdom in this world. And yes, the, the kingdoms and the rulers are going to be are, are going to fall and, and, the, and the power structures are going to be undone by the power of God who created and loves the world 
and whose desire is to redeem it through Christ and through his people. That's the victory that we bring to this world. The victory of the cross as the way of life. N.T. Wright makes the the comment that it's, it's interesting that Jesus times the cross for the Passover and not for the Day of Atonement. The Day of Atonement is the day in which the sacrifices are made for the sins and the focus is on sins and forgiveness of sins. And as important as that is, he says that's not when Jesus times the cross. He times the cross for Passover. And Passover is that freedom event that victory event in which God rescues his people and brings them out of of bondage into victorious, glorious life. And that's what the cross is leading us to. Isn't it interesting that when when the religious leaders come to Pilate, they say, we don't want to come into the palace because that will defile us for the Passover. Ironically, Using deception and lies to murder Jesus doesn't defile them for the Passover. And what you find is that they are more interested in the symbol than the reality. And we look at that and we roll our eyes and think, wow, how messed up they could be. And then we have to acknowledge how many times we're more interested in the symbol than the reality of the kingdom. We love to talk about Jesus, but do we want to follow him to the cross? We love to explore and think about Jesus, and we should, and it's good, but are we willing to take meaningful risk, to use our authority in vulnerability to follow him to the cross? You see, that's where we come to this table. Because every time we, we eat the bread and, and we drink the cup, every time we engage in the body, the broken body and the shed blood of Christ, it's not just symbol, it's reality. It's the reality of, of coming to him and acknowledging once again that we will take up our cross and deny ourselves and follow him. Because that's the way of the kingdom. Because we have come to believe, not just in our minds, but in our hearts, that the way of the cross is the way of life. And we embrace that. And we bear witness to that. Again and again and again. And the struggle of that, for me, maybe it is for you, is that I love having authority. What I don't love is the meaningful risk of vulnerability. And yet Jesus says, this is what my kingdom is about. My kingdom is not of this earth. My kingdom is the kingdom of God. And that's the kingdom my followers embrace. 
And T. Wright says that he finds himself, as he was younger and even to this day, singing to himself that, uh, that chorus from, from the late 19th century, wounded for me, wounded for me. There on the cross, he was wounded for me. All my transgressions gone, now I'm free. All because Jesus was wounded for me. But he says, I have to remember that Jesus was wounded for me so that I can be an agent, an image bearer of his authority and vulnerability, of his kingdom to the rest of the world. And that's our calling. Our calling is to follow our king to the cross, whose kingdom is not from this world, but whose kingdom is to and for this world. Father, we thank you for your grace and mercy to us. We thank you for the calling of your kingdom. We ask that you will give us grace to embrace your kingdom, to surrender, to be your people who deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow you to bear witness of who you are. We pray, Father, that you will pour out your anointing upon the bread and the cup of which we take. May it be food for our souls, inspiration for our lives. And we ask this through Christ Jesus. Amen.